welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today as we finish up our series that we've been doing through the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the city, the church in Colossae. He did not plant this church. His dear friend Epaphras planted the church. Paul spent over two years in the city of Ephesus, which is quite close to Colossae. And it is believed that during Paul's time in Ephesus, Epaphras came to Ephesus, heard the gospel through Paul's ministry there, and then took it back to his hometown of Colossae and planted the church in Colossae. Now, uh, that, that all probably happened around 55 or between 53 and 55 AD. And now we are around 60 AD, so several years later, Paul is in prison in Rome. Epaphras is with Paul, and we're not sure what brought Epaphras to Rome, to Paul's prison. It doesn't seem like he's a prisoner with Paul. He perhaps is visiting Paul, taking care of Paul. Maybe he has uh, moved to Rome to do ministry there uh, for a short time, but he is... Uh, there with Paul reporting on how things are going in Colossae and reporting to Paul that there are some confusions going on in Colossae based on heresies and false ideas that are permeating the city and even permeating the gospel and coming into the church and confusing people on the supremacy and the lordship and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, also a common question in most of the churches that Paul planted is the question about how much of the law do we have to follow, if any. So he answers that question as well. Questions about whether or not the body is good or evil. He responds to those questions. So he writes them a letter a beautiful letter that explains the divinity and the supremacy and also the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, what the cross meant, the finished work of the cross. And then the letter goes on to explain, now then, how shall we live in Christ? So we are in chapter four today in the last part of Paul's letter to the people in Colossae. And he has reminded them a few times that Epaphras is, is with Paul in his house prison in Rome and that Epaphras has devoted himself to praying for the people of Colossae. He has used words like working hard and contending. In this chapter, we're going to hear that Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for the people of Colossae. And so it is no surprise that as he starts the end of his letter, He wants to tell them to devote themselves to prayer. I'm going to read our text for today, which is Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2, going through the end of the letter at verse 18. I'm going to read straight through like a letter, and then we will come back to the beginning of today's text, and we will go verse by verse through it. So, reading Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2, reading in Jesus' name. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God might open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. 
Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he might encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So it used to be that I didn't think that the last chapter of most of Paul's letters applied to me, and I didn't really care if I read them or not, or I would scan over them really quickly. Several years ago, I can't remember how long ago, that all changed as I started studying the Apostle Paul more in depth, started studying his letters more in depth, and realized that the ends of all of his letters are just full of treasure. They, they almost all of them list many, many people. The longest one is in the book of Romans and when he ends his letter to the Romans, which is so phenomenal because he, when he writes his letter to the Romans, he has never yet been to Rome. And yet he lists by name 26 people in the last chapter of, the, of his letter to the Romans giving greetings to 26 people, even though he's not even been there. I mean, it's just phenomenal. But the the network of the believers and the spreading of information and the spreading of news, uh, they just had such a kinship and a closeness with one another throughout the the early church because of their love for Jesus, the fervency they had to spread the gospel, and the deep persecution they went through. They just had such an incredible kinship and connectedness. And you see it in Paul's letters when he is naming so many people, giving them greetings, and this person sends greetings. It's just so beautiful. I think it's such a beautiful picture of the way the church should be, that we care so deeply for one another, that we are sending greetings and praying hard, working hard for each other through prayer. It, it's beautiful to me. I love it. So the ends of Paul's letters are full of treasure. 
and we will dive in now with uh, start we start it with verse two so in verse two he started off by saying devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful I think those two words that mean so much to us well really there's three so in our prayer we should be devoted that would be the first word be devoted to prayer I am very guilty of praying when I have time you know and when you pray when you have time and you uh, just fit it in to the nooks and crannies like that's not bad by no means I think a lot of us do that that's not bad at all but if you devote yourself to something you are making it uh, top priority so rather than trying to fit prayer in and see where it fits in my day make it my top priority devote myself to praying be devoted to prayer make it a priority and then he tells us in our prayer how should we be within prayer and it's so interesting that he says watchful and thankful of course thankfulness I think all of us know that when we choose a posture of thankfulness our heart will overflow with gratitude and we realize so much more the grace of God we can see the grace of God more in our lives we can see the the tangible and intangible ways that the grace of God comes to us when we have chosen to put on a posture of thankfulness Uh, we just get overwhelmed like you can get swept away if you choose that posture then you can get swept away by how much God can show you of his grace and his goodness and his kindness because of the posture of thankfulness watchfulness I think is so interesting in our prayer be watchful what should we be watching for when we're praying I think there's a couple of things be watchful for the way that God has answered prayer. I think that's the most basic. In your prayer life, pay attention. I know I do not keep a prayer journal. I have tried and I wish that I was a journaler, but I am just not. Uh, but I know that people who are prayer journal people, um, they often will go through their prayer journal and like put stars by prayers that they had written down that then God has answered and has come to fruition. And I think that's wonderful. And they can look through their journals and they can see all of the ways that God has answered prayer. It's so cool. So I think being watchful for where has God answered prayer. I think being watchful for any ways that the enemy is trying to get in. Be watchful for what's going on spiritually around you. Being watchful for attacks of the enemy. Uh, Being watchful for where God is working. And then I think ultimately in in all of Paul's letter letters and in all of Jesus's teaching, there is a very clear, uh, and actually I should say also in all of Peter's writings, there is a very clear encouragement, warning even, to be watchful, especially for the return of Christ. So in our prayer life, be watchful for the return of Christ. Be watchful for signs that he is coming back. So we watch for God answering prayer. We watch for attacks of the enemy. We watch for where God is working in our life. And we watch ultimately for the return of Jesus. Verse 3, he says, And pray for us, too, that God might open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
All right, so this is so cool. It was in very similar time frames that I did a very in-depth study personally through Colossians and Philippians, and I, I wrote Bible studies and taught like at retreats on, on both of these letters in very close time frames. And as I was doing that, I realized that this is an amazing connection that you can see in the letters of Paul in Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians, which are very much believed to be written all in his Roman imprisonment from 60 to 62 AD. There is some uh, debate about the letter to the Philippians about if it was written in about 62 AD from his Roman imprisonment or if it was written earlier like between 58 and 50 oh yeah around 57 to 59 AD from his imprisonment in Caesarea Maritime is where he was imprisoned right before he went to Rome and so <clears throat> some people think maybe he wrote Philippians from there I very much believe he wrote it from his imprisonment in Rome. And in Philippians, it appears very much that he is near the end of his time in Rome, near the end of his imprisonment sentence, imprisonment sentence, because he is expecting an answer. Like it's very, in, in Philippians chapter one, he makes it clear that he is really expecting an answer about whether or not he will be released from prison or if he will be martyred at this time for his faith in Christ. It turns out that he is going to be released from this imprisonment, but as you read through Philippians 1, it just really seems like he is expecting to get an answer soon about the outcome of this imprisonment, which would lead one to believe that Philippians was written on the end of his two years in Rome <clears throat> and that Colossians and Philippians were perhaps written at the closer to the beginning of his two years in Rome. Now here's what's so cool about this. The verse I just read in Colossians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4, I'm going to read them again. Pray for us too that God might open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, he says something almost exactly the same at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. So I'm going to read that to you. At the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words might be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. All right, so those are almost exactly the same sentences, which is not surprising for Colossians and Ephesians because there are many places in, in the letters where they say almost the exact same thing. And they were written at the same time, and Tychicus takes both of the letters. So because Colossae and Ephesus are very close together, and Tychicus is the guy who is going to deliver both letters as well as the letter to Philemon, which is all about Onesimus. We'll get there in a little bit and we'll cover that. But so he takes the letters at the same time. They were written at the same time. I believe at the beginning of Paul's two-year Roman ministry, or I mean, sorry, Roman imprisonment. So uh, maybe around 60 AD, he would have written these letters. 
And he's asking them, pray for us that we can proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I would proclaim it fearlessly. Pray that I can make it clear. All right. I believe that when Paul sent these letters, the people took this very seriously and they prayed. Because when you flip to Philippians, which again, I believe was written maybe a year and a half to two years later, uh, at the end of Paul's time in his Roman house prison, in Philippians chapter 1, he says to the people of Philippi, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It gives me goosebumps all over my body that the exact thing he asked the people to pray for in his letters to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae, that we would proclaim the gospel clearly and fearlessly. Then Perhaps a year and a half later, when he's writing to the church in Philippi, he lets them know, I just want you to know that this imprisonment has advanced the gospel. We have been able to preach the gospel constantly. Everybody knows. Everybody in the palace guard knows. People who work for Emperor Nero know that I am in chains for Christ and People who work for Nero have even come to believe in Christ themselves. And the church in Rome, the brothers and sisters who are also in Rome, are declaring the gospel fearlessly. Which is exactly what Paul asked the people in Colossae and Ephesus to pray. And then we find out in Philippians that it happened. It happened. That blows my mind amazing God is answering prayer and we can see the proof of answered prayer as we read the letters of Paul and just compare one letter to another letter and we can see oh my goodness God is answering prayer right in the pages of scripture mind-blowing verse 5 be wise in the way you act toward outsiders Make the most of every opportunity. I mean, imagine how much Paul has learned this because he is literally chained to Roman guards right now who work for Nero, who has the power to just say the word and Paul will be killed. So Paul says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Those who are not yet in the family of God have not yet put their faith in Jesus. Be wise how you act towards them. Make the most out of every opportunity. That is spoken by the man who never stopped preaching the gospel, even though he was chained to Roman guards. And then we find out that these Roman guards, many of them are also putting their faith in Jesus. Why? Because Paul made the most of every opportunity. He went to prison, got chained to guards, and he saw it as an opportunity, not as a setback, an opportunity. Verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. Here it is again. We just have to remember who's writing these words. The Apostle Paul 
chained to a Roman guard. Other Christians are coming into his his home, his house arrest, to visit him. Remember, he can't go anywhere during this house arrest, but people can come and visit him. We learn in Acts 28, which I think we went through at the beginning of this series podcast, um, we learned that Paul's house filled up many times with people coming to hear him preach and with people fellowshipping together, Christians gathering, and yet he is chained to Roman guards the whole time who are listening to the conversation of these believers. And he says, let your conversation be full of grace. Is Paul in prison bad-mouthing the Roman emperor? I do not believe he was. He was not shaming the guards. He was not disgracing the Roman emperor. He wasn't speaking against the emperor. He was keeping his conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salt has healing nature to it. It it brings healing. Uh, Salt is used for preservation. Salt is used for flavor, so things aren't boring and bland season your conversation so that you might know how to answer everyone even the toughest critic the people who hate you the most let your conversation be so full of grace that you can answer them verse 7 Tychicus will tell you all the news about me he is a dear brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you might know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. I think that is awesome. Paul is the one in prison. Paul is the one chained to guards. And yet he wants to send one of his dear brothers, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. He wants to send him thousands or hundreds of miles away. I guess I haven't looked up the distance between Colossae and Rome, but they have to travel by sea. It's very slow. It takes a very long time. And he wants to send Tychicus away from himself so that Tychicus can encourage the hearts of other people. Isn't that wonderful that he is so concerned about the hearts of the people in Colossae. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. So he sends one of his own dear friends to them to bring them encouragement. I think I've mentioned earlier in this podcast as Paul talks about uh, how Epaphras is praying also that the hearts of the people in Colossae would be encouraged. That was earlier in the letter. And I mentioned that as I studied Colossians several years ago, that just became like a really beautiful phrase to me and became a primary prayer for my husband that God would encourage his heart, encourage his heart, especially during a time several years ago when Paul first got diagnosed with PTSD. I had many, many different prayers that were important to me at that time, but praying for the encouragement of his heart as he struggled through a new diagnosis and uh, the, the encouragement of his heart was a primary prayer. All right, verse 9. He, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. It's significant that Paul writes there 
that Onesimus is faithful and dear, that he is a brother and he is one of you. This is why this is so significant. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He had run away from the household of Philemon, who we're going to find out in just a few verses, is also an important person in the church in Colossae. Onesimus was one of his slaves. We don't exactly know what happened. It seems that Onesimus stole something from Philemon and then ran away because the punishment for stealing from your master would be death. So he ran away at some point became a Christian. We don't know if he became a Christian before he ran away or after he ran away, but he ran away to Rome and found Paul in his house prison. He accepted Christ either before or after he found Paul and fled away to Rome. And And he's become very dear, a dear brother to Paul. Paul is sending him back to Philemon. And with this letter, the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians, with them, Paul is also writing a personal letter to Philemon, the master of Onesimus, kind of begging, insisting that Philemon set Onesimus free, that he forgive him and set him free because he is your brother in Christ. Do the right thing. You have a master in heaven, so do the right thing. So he's reminding the people of Colossae that Onesimus is faithful. He is a dear brother. He is one of you. Accept him. Accept him. And then he reminds them that they will tell you everything that's happening here. They will fill you in on all the news in Rome and with the church in Rome and with the imprisonment everything that they want to know about what's going on in Rome. Verse 10, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, Aristarchus, we don't know much else about him, and we don't know why he is in prison, but it seems that if he was imprisoned for the gospel, which is probably the case, that he was, for, for whatever reason, allowed to stay in Paul's house prison, and he probably also was in chains, chained to a Roman guard. And then Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, is there as well. We don't know if that's in the case of being a prisoner or if he is staying there um, as a guest or as a friend. But Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and the reason that Paul puts in parentheses here, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. The reason for that is probably because in Acts chapter 13, which was years ago, so probably like uh, 47 AD, and this is 60-ish AD, so like 13 years ago, long time ago, on Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, they had taken Mark, John Mark, who was quite young, with them, and then in Pamphylia, which is like part partway through the journey of that first missionary journey, it says that Mark went home to Jerusalem. And then we find out in Acts chapter 16 that uh, when they're setting out on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark, and Paul absolutely refuses to take Mark because he feels that Mark abandoned them when they were in Pamphylia. That first missionary journey had lots of really hard things. Paul got stoned almost to death, and, and Mark was young. And so I'm sure it was just completely overwhelming and he left the journey but Paul refused to take him with on another one so in Acts chapter 16 we see Barnabas and Paul splitting ways Paul 
Paul goes one way with Silas and Barnabas goes another way with Mark. What we really see here is that God is dividing this dynamite ministry team for his glory and then the gospel is spread in more than one direction through these through these two who used to travel together he gave them new partners and now they're traveling in different directions continuing to spread the gospel so of course god used this for his glory and we don't see when mark and paul have a reconciliation but they clearly do have a reconciliation and now 13 years later mark apparently is with Paul in Rome in his house prison perhaps just as a guest and a visitor and he has regained all trust with Paul. We know through reading Peter's letters that Mark was actually closest to Peter. Peter talks about Mark as my dear son in the Lord and so the apostle Peter and Mark become very very close. All right verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. I think that's a really tender and beautiful thought, because as Paul is working primarily with the Gentiles, that was his call from God to be a disciple to the Gentiles. There have been so many hard situations for him to answer regarding the law, regarding circumcision. And then also, he the, the Old Testament law was dearly beloved to, to the Jews. I mean, it still is dearly beloved to the Jews. And that's a beautiful thing. That covenant that God made with Abraham and the Mosaic covenant, it's such a dear, crucial beautiful gift from God for the Jewish people and it would be hard to just constantly be in the midst of this battle about do we follow the law do we not follow the law do we follow the law do we not follow the law because the truth is by this time Paul knows very well that he is not saved by the law but to continue living in the patterns of the law is something that he probably did uh, he probably still did eat primarily koshered food, and he probably still did uh, obey the Sabbath, and he probably still did take care of like cleanliness laws a lot. And we just we just don't know how much of the law, the patterns of the law, he still lived by, uh, and how much he did not. It's unclear, but by no means was he doing it for salvation. He for sure, Paul for sure absolutely knows that the law is not going to save him but the patterns of the law how much of them did he keep in his life and how much of them did he not I think is a mystery and it would be a comfort to have Jewish brothers and sisters with him to work that all out with to struggle through this transition with I think it's a very tender verse Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends his greetings. Epaphras is the one who planted the church, we found out earlier in the letter, in Colossae. And now, we don't know why, but now he is with Paul in Rome and he is wrestling in prayer for the people of Colossae. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. 
that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I want to be like Epaphras. Do you want to be like Epaphras? He is always wrestling in prayer for those that he loves. Am I always wrestling in prayer for those that I love? And is my prayer for those people that they would stand firm in the will of God, that they would grow to maturity in Christ, and that they would be fully assured of Jesus and his salvation and his love for them. I want to be like Epaphras. I want to wrestle and I want those main prayers to be my main prayers. Verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. What's he doing to work hard? He's praying. Prayer is his hard work. I want to work hard, you guys. I want my prayer life to be one that I can say I am working hard. I am not there, but my goodness, I so desire to have a prayer life that is working hard, that is wrestling, that is contending, that is fighting for my people on behalf of Christ. And he's working hard not just for the people in Colossae, but also for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those cities are all very nearby, and they are also nearby Ephesus. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Luke traveled with Paul. They they met him on their second missionary journey. They met Luke, and he's a physician, and he, it seems, spent the rest of Paul's life traveling with Paul, and he was a physician, and I, I have to believe that a lot of the reason he stayed with Paul is because, as a physician, he was able to tend personally to Paul. Paul went through, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter 11, is probably the best place to go to read about the tremendous suffering that Paul went through during the years. And he certainly would have benefited, benefited by having a physician with him. And so it seems that Luke tended to Paul. And so he's in prison with Paul, not as a prisoner, but as an attendee to Paul. And Demas sends greetings. Verse 16, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. I have to just pause here for a moment because the Lord has really been opening my eyes in the last several years, few years maybe, about all of the places in Paul's letters when he refers to the women, the mighty women who worked with him and who worked in the gospel next to him, alongside him. Nympha had a church in her house. For a woman to run a household meant that she probably was a businesswoman who did quite well for herself, and her house was large enough that she was able to host a church in her house. And she would have possibly been seen as a pastor over her house, a pastoral role over her house certainly like a deacon, a caretaker, a leader, that the church met in her house. And I can tell you with 
assurance that she did far more for that church than simply like serve tea and cookies. She worked for the church. She led the church. And Paul wants to send her greetings. I think that's beautiful. Beautiful. There are mighty, mighty women who work alongside Paul in his ministry. And Nympha is one of them. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Okay, so that might be the letter of, the, of Ephesians, the letter that went to Ephesus, to the Ephesians. We know was called a circular letter. Paul intended it for it to be passed around. We know that because it said so in the letter. And so since Ephesus and Laodicea are so near to each other, that might be the letter he is referring to here, but it also might be a lost letter that we don't have. So he may have sent another letter. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. That is a beautiful, beautiful verse. I heard Beth Moore teach on this verse and I will never forget it. She spoke for an hour, and I, it seems in my memory that it was mostly about this one verse, although I'm not quite sure. Um, but just an incredible verse that says, see to it that you complete the ministry that God gave you. God gave you a ministry. Seek out what it is and do it. Don't leave it undone. And the way that Beth Moore taught it was such a warning like an invitation and a warning all in one to each of us. God gave you a ministry. Don't leave your ministry undone. Seek the Lord. Find out what your ministry is if you don't know. And then do it. Don't abandon the ministry that God gave you. Archippus, we find out in the letter to Philemon, is part of Philemon's household, probably a son of Philemon. And Philemon was wealthy so it's possible that Archippus led a fairly uh, life of ease. We're, we don't know that for sure, but that's possible. Uh, growing up in a wealthy household. And maybe that warning comes from that, that he was used to a life of ease. We're not sure, but that, that could be part of it. But whatever the case may be, Paul knows, Paul sees in Archippus potential, a great potential for ministry that God has called him to ministry. And Paul's telling him, don't abandon it. Fulfill the ministry. God gave you one, fulfill it. And I just hear that so, so loud and such an invitation and such a warning for myself. Rebecca, God gave you a ministry. Don't abandon it. Work in the ministry that God has called you to. It's different for every single one of us, but there's not a person listening to this podcast who isn't called to a ministry. What has God called you to? Do it. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We've mentioned before that Paul spoke his letters aloud and had somebody else write them down for him. Sometimes he tells us who's writing it down. Timothy is writing this one down, we find out in Colossians 1, verse 1. So Timothy, who is with Paul, writes this down, but at the end of his letter, Paul signs his own name. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you so much for journeying through Colossians with me. 
I love this letter. It's beautiful. And I pray that it was a blessing to you as well. Have a great day. Bye.